Welcome to another episode of The Real Deal on Drugs. If you've listened to other episodes, you'd know that I cover some of the same material you may have already heard if you've heard me speak at your school. But here I can provide a little more detail or cover issues that I don't necessarily talk about during student presentations. I hope that what you're about to hear helps you and your friends when it comes to making decisions in this area, particularly when it comes to looking after each other if something should go wrong. Anyone can listen, but it's important to remember that what is being talked about is done so with young people in mind. And as always, if you know someone who you think may be interested in today's content, you can share this podcast with them. Right at the beginning of every presentation I deliver to students, I make a point of outlining my rules. They're pretty simple and mostly have to do with being polite and respectful. My final rule asks students to do their best to make sure they keep a poker face should I start discussing behaviour that they or their friends are involved with in some way. Some of the things I talk about involve illegal activities, and I have absolutely no interest in knowing what anyone in the audience is doing in that area. If I do believe that someone is doing something illegal, or if they're at risk of hurting themselves or hurting anyone else, I can't just ignore it. When I'm working with young people, I have a duty of care. And most importantly, if I believe that they are at significant risk, I would have to refer it to the school for mandatory reporting. To work in schools or simply to work with young people in any setting, you need, at the very least, to get something called a working with children check. This is a screening mechanism and involves, among other things, a criminal history record check. It's all about making sure you're suitable to work with young people. Presenters like myself also need to get special insurance. This helps to protect me, the school, as well as those in the audience. As you may have gathered if you've listened to other episodes, I hear a lot of stories from young people. I'm not sure why, but so many of them are very keen to tell me what happened when they and their friends went off to a party somewhere and something went wrong. Now, it's important to note that I also get to hear about when good things happen, such as when someone called an ambulance and managed to save a life. But I can usually tell when I'm about to be told about behaviour that maybe wasn't so positive. It's then that I have to stop them as quickly as I can and remind them about my duty of care. What I usually say is something like, now if you're going to tell me about something illegal, remember my duty of care. And hopefully they're smart enough to make sure that they don't talk about anything that they have done that I shouldn't know about. So have there actually been times where I have had to refer a case for mandatory reporting? Unfortunately, there have. And sadly, most of them have had to do with sexual assault. When I am told by someone that this has happened to them, I have absolutely no choice. I have to report it to the school. This is something that can't be ignored. And then the case will nearly always have to be referred on and be investigated. Most probably the most difficult and heartbreaking case I was involved with had to do with a year 10 boy. He was much smaller than most of his classmates and seemed quite shy. But after my talk, he came up to me and had more questions about how to look after drunk people. He asked me for some more information about the recovery position 
and seemed particularly worried about my message to do with never putting a drunk person to bed to sleep it off. We'd been talking for a good 15 minutes and I had no idea where the conversation was going when suddenly he blurted out some information that put me in a very awkward position. The reason he was so interested in this area was that for the past few months he had been putting his mum to bed because she was so drunk she passed out. Apparently his dad had left the family the previous year and since then his mum had developed a serious drinking problem. He had two younger brothers which he now looked after as well as having to care for his mother who was usually too intoxicated to know what was going on. When I asked him about other family or friends, he said that there was no one. He'd been trying to handle this very dangerous situation all by himself. I let him know that this was something that I was unable to keep a secret. I had to let the school know as quickly as possible. His mum was sick and he was too young to look after her. She needed help and he and his two younger brothers needed to be cared for properly as well. I was worried that he would be upset and would feel like I betrayed his trust. And sometimes that does happen. But that wasn't the case with this young man. In fact, he looked almost relieved. He was such a great kid. He obviously loved his mum very much and had taken on a huge responsibility. I'd like to think that one of the reasons he came up to me that day is because he wanted things to change. But who knows? Are young people very good at keeping poker faces? Absolutely not. They're terrible at it. I usually have a pretty good idea about who's doing what when I give a student talk. I use certain words or terms that may have a drug reference, and as I do, I take a quick glance across the room, knowing that they can trigger particular responses. Do I have to act on that? Of course not. But I hope young people are smart enough to realise that we can't ignore risky behaviour if we know that it's happening. One of my key messages in every talk I deliver to students, no matter what their age, is the importance of planning ahead. Some of you may know that I present to lots of different groups of people, including GPs, dentists, youth workers, police. And one group that I've done a lot of work with is elite sports people. My involvement in the professional sports area started way back in the late 1990s, just before the Sydney Olympics. And it's usually all about responsible celebrating. Interestingly, a major focus of the talks I give to them, no matter what sport they play, is once again all about planning ahead. I'm sure you've seen stories involving sports people who went out with their teammates to celebrate a win or simply have a good time after a training session and then everything went wrong. Due to their profile, they find themselves on the front page of the paper sometimes with their sporting career in tatters. When you try to identify what went wrong, you can almost always boil it down to the fact that they didn't plan ahead. Or if they had made a plan, for one reason or another, they didn't follow it. And things went terribly wrong as a result. We know that the best way to keep as safe as possible, regardless of your age, is to plan ahead. Do your best to get as much information as you can about where you're going to be going and what you're going to do when you get there, and then make a plan. Be aware of what risks potentially lie ahead, and then be prepared. Now, that doesn't mean that before you go out with your friends on a Saturday night, 
You should be methodically cataloguing every single one of your possible movements along with a long list of things that could possibly go wrong. That would be ridiculous, and if your mates found out that you were doing that, I'm fairly certain they would think something was seriously wrong with you. What I'm talking about is being aware of the potential risks involved and then putting some simple things into place to try to ensure that you and your friends are just a little safer. It would be great if there was something you could do so that absolutely nothing bad could possibly happen. But let's get real here. Unless you lock yourself up in your room and never go anywhere ever again, that's just not likely. The following story about three young women I met a few years ago who went out for a fun time on a Saturday night hopefully illustrates that when you don't have all the information and plan or you don't follow a plan that you had made, things can go terribly wrong. Sylvia, Alicia and Morgan had been friends for many years. They were all aged 16, enjoyed partying and although they were high achievers, Alicia had topped her class the previous year, they made sure that they had a big night out at least once a fortnight. Morgan was usually the one who organised the alcohol. She had an older sister who'd buy it for them and their drink of choice was vodka. This night was not particularly unusual, although it was organised a little bit more spur of the moment than was normal. Alicia's parents had suddenly made the decision to go away for the weekend, which meant the girls had the house to themselves. That was too good an opportunity to resist. When Sylvia and Morgan got to Alicia's house for the prees, they were surprised to see that her boyfriend and a couple of his mates were already there. They had brought some tequila with them and suggested that they all do shots before they leave. None of the three girls had ever tried tequila, but it sounded like fun, and before too long, the group had polished off the whole bottle. It was then that they suddenly realised that there was no one sober enough to take them to the party. They usually relied on Alicia's boyfriend, but he was too trashed, so they ended up calling a friend of Morgan's older brother, Jeff, to take them. Morgan thought he was a bit of a creep, but they needed to get to the party. By the time the girls got there, they were flying. They'd all had quite a bit of alcohol, but at that stage no one felt sick and they still had the bottle of vodka. It wasn't too long before they had drank quite a bit of that and it was then that the alcohol really hit them. Sylvia, in particular, began to feel extremely unwell and asked her friends to take her outside to be sick. The other two were also very intoxicated but agreed and immediately helped her to the back garden away from the view of the other partygoers. She vomited for some time, but it was not until she began to slip in and out of consciousness that her friends became really worried. They tried to keep her awake, but had no success. When they spoke to her, she would not always respond, and finally, in a state of panic, Morgan went to find someone to help. The only person who seemed like they were sober enough was Jeff, and he was eventually convinced to drive the three girls back to Alicia's home. Although the vomiting had pretty well stopped by the time they got into the car, Morgan wet herself on the back seat and the smell of vomit and urine was all over them. On top of that, Jeff was yelling at them and kept threatening to dump them on the side of the road because his car was getting ruined. When they finally got back to Alicia's house and got her inside, Jeff refused to leave. He wanted to stay and said he would help look after the drunk girl. 
Morgan did not feel comfortable with him being there and finally got him to leave, but he'd become quite angry and threatening, accusing them of using him. Once he had gone, they stripped Sylvia down to a bra and pants and carried her into the bathroom and put her under a cold shower. She'd now been slipping in out of conscience for almost an hour. They slapped her face and tried other things to try to bring her around, all to no avail. They then tried to force-feed her tiny pieces of bread, believing it would soak up the alcohol. But luckily, the young woman's gag reflex kicked in and she threw up. She coughed and spluttered and showed the first sign of life for some time. The girls, who were now in tears, picked their friend out of the shower and cleaned her up. Without even thinking of the consequences and quite convinced that it was the right thing to do, they took the still unconscious Sylvia to the bedroom and put her to bed to let her sleep it off. There are so many things that went wrong on this night out and so much more that could have ended in a tragedy. It's not like these young women were new to partying. They went out regularly. I'm sure that they would never have imagined that something like this could ever have happened to them. But it did. As I said, this was a spur-of-the-moment Saturday night. They'd seen an opportunity to have a fun time when Alicia's parents had decided to go away for the weekend, and they went for it. When her boyfriend and his mates showed up with a bottle of tequila, a drink they had never tried, and suggested shots, instead of thinking it through, once again they jumped in and didn't give it a second thought. They also had no idea about what to do if something went wrong. When Sylvia became so unwell, all the things they did to try and sober her up were potentially very dangerous. Cold showers and feeding drunk people bread don't work. And then to make matters worse, they then put it to bed to sleep it off. This was an incredibly tough night for these three young women, but it could have been so much worse. This story clearly illustrates why things go wrong. It's typically when you don't have all the information you need and there's no plan. Now, I'm not saying don't be spontaneous. I can tell you that some of the most amazing things that have ever happened in my life were things that hadn't been planned. I was travelling with a girlfriend of mine across Europe many years ago and had our trip meticulously planned out. We had limited time and knew where we would be and what we would be doing every single minute of every single day. We weren't quite backpackers, but we didn't have a lot of money. It was wonderful, but very exhausting. We were in Vienna visiting the main train station and saw a poster that gave the times for the Orient Express. I looked at her and said something along the lines of, let's do it. Without even really thinking, we booked two first-class tickets with money that we really didn't have, and a couple of hours later went on one of the most amazing trips of our lives. It would be a pretty boring life if all you did was write lists about everything that could possibly go wrong and be constantly worried and anxious as a result. Spontaneity is important and it makes life interesting. But if someone offers you an exciting opportunity that's just too good to refuse, make sure you have some information on hand to keep you as safe as possible. So, if you're having a night out with friends whether it be to a party or a gathering, a music festival or a dance event, there are a number of things you can do to make sure that you and your friends are a little bit safer. Now, if you're planning on drinking alcohol or taking other drugs, there are additional risks to consider. 
but here are some simple tips that may help you and your friends have a safer night. Firstly, find out as much as you can about where you're going. It doesn't matter what you're doing, going to a party or gathering or even to your best friend's house for a sleepover. It's important to get as much information as you can about what will be happening when you get there. If it's a party, how many people are going? Do you know many of the people who are invited? And where is it being held? If it's a music festival, is it an all-ages event? Will there be police and drug detection dogs present? And have the promoters outlined any special rules or regulations? Just turning up without getting this information means you're not fully prepared and you can find yourself uncomfortable at best and in great danger at worst. Make sure you have the address of where you're going stored on your phone or at the very least on a piece of paper in your pocket. I hope it never happens to you, but if something goes wrong and you need to call for help, whether it be for you, a friend or even a stranger, it's vital that you know exactly where you are when you make that call. Too often young people have no idea where they are when they go out and when they call triple zero, they waste time trying to find out the details. Having the address in your phone or on a piece of paper could be the difference between life and death. It's vital that you should always plan exactly how you're getting to where you're going as well as how you're going to get home. If you speak to paramedics or police, they will tell you that so many of the really bad things they see on a Saturday night are related to young people who are wandering the streets, usually trying to find their way home. Plan this well ahead of time to ensure details are all locked in and you reduce the risks of something going wrong and potentially missing out on your night out. It's also a good idea to always have a plan B, a second option, just in case something happens and your original plan falls through. Unfortunately, teens don't always put a great deal of effort into planning how they're going to get home, preferring to wait and see what happens on the night. This is a frightening prospect if the person is stone-cold sober, but if they've been drinking or drug-affected in some way, that's when things can go terribly wrong. Choose a buddy for the night and do your best to make sure they know where you are at all times. Some of you may think that this sounds pretty lame, but if you and your friends all agree to the idea, it can be pretty useful. Over the years when I've presented to university students, some of them have approached me after a talk and thanked me for this suggestion. They usually say that they weren't that keen on it when they were in high school, but they did it anyway. And now that they're at uni, it has become incredibly helpful. Basically, a buddy is someone that you know you can trust to be there for you for the whole evening. You don't necessarily have to be glued at the hip and be with them the whole time, but you need to ensure that whatever you do and wherever you go, they know about it, particularly if you change your plans in some way. Maybe you met someone or you got invited to another party. It's also important that your buddy knows your expectations of what to do if there is an emergency. At some point, have a discussion about what would happen if something was to go wrong. Say that you had too much to drink and you needed medical attention, or for some reason they couldn't find you and they became worried about your safety for whatever reason. The important thing is that both of you have total clarity about what you expect the other to do in the case of an emergency. 
Sadly, there have been cases of young people not seeking help for a friend for fear of getting them into trouble. It's vital that you make clear to your buddy what your expectations are should your life be at risk in any way. Hopefully, most of you would want them to call whoever it takes and not be worried about getting into trouble. There's nothing more important than you being alive, safe and well at the end of the night. Without a doubt, the person who would want to be contacted more than anyone else should something go wrong would be your parents. But there are some young people who really have a problem with that. One of the saddest things I've ever heard come from a young person's mouth was at the very first schoolies week I ever attended. A young girl, heavily intoxicated and having difficulty breathing, had been brought to the medical tent. She was incredibly unwell and had been found alone, almost unconscious, lying in the street. When she was asked if there was someone we could call to be with her, her response was a very, very timid, not my mum. We didn't get a name of a friend or a relative. We were simply told not to call her mother. That sentence would break almost every mum's heart. I know that my mum would be devastated if she thought that my brothers or I would ever say that. I'm sure your parents would feel the same way. If you have been drinking or doing something else you possibly shouldn't have, no parent is going to be pleased that it all went pear-shaped and you had to be taken to hospital. But I can guarantee they would be secretly thrilled that you felt that you or your buddy could actually make that call and trust that they would be there for you, no matter what. Anyone who's ever heard me speak at a school know the final two things I'm going to say when it comes to being prepared for a night out. Regardless of whether you're drinking alcohol or not, it's important to never go out without eating something first. A fistful of food, the size of your fist, which is roughly the size of your empty stomach, is the perfect amount of food to eat before leaving home. Yes, it's a great idea to have a nice big meal earlier in the evening, but do that just before you walk out the door and you're likely to feel bloated and uncomfortable. A fistful of food will provide you with some important energy for the night ahead particularly if you make sure it's carb-heavy, like a small bowl of pasta or a sandwich. Finally, no matter what you're planning to drink, soft drink, alcohol or Milo, it's important to make sure you're well hydrated. This is particularly true if you're planning a night of dancing. Having a glass of water just before you go out is a smart move. But if you're planning a long night out or you know whatever you're doing is going to involve strenuous activity... Drinking water throughout the day and being prepared for possible dehydration is a great idea. It doesn't take much to put together a quick plan to keep you and your friends just a little bit safer on a Saturday night. As I said, it's not about making long lists and working yourself into a stupor about all the things that could possibly go wrong. Once you've worked out what you and your friends are going to be doing, plan how you're going to get there and get back home. Stick to that plan as much as possible and stay with your friends. Most importantly, if something goes wrong, get help as quickly as possible. Well, that's another episode of this second series ended. I'd love to know what you thought about what you've heard and whether you found it helpful. If you did and you think someone you know may be interested in listening, make sure you share the podcast with them. If you have a question on anything to do with this area, send it to me by email and I'll do my very best to get it on a future episode of The Real Deal on Drugs. Thanks for listening and stay safe.